the status quo is we are putting more and more CO2 into the atmosphere, we can't take a risk-free approach. So that means let's look at nuclear again. Let's look at it with fresh eyes and come up with something new. Welcome to Xconomy Voices. We are a production of Xconomy, the news and events company focused on business and technology in the exponential economy. I'm Wade Rausch, a contributing editor at Xconomy. And here on the show, I talk with some of the world's leading innovators and entrepreneurs and ask them what they're working on, what they're excited about, and why they think their idea or business is going to change the world. Our guest today is Nathan Mervold. He's a guy you can describe without hyperbole as a Renaissance man. He studied physics at the University of Cambridge under Stephen Hawking. At Microsoft, he founded the company's research division and spent 13 years as chief technology officer reporting to Bill Gates. And in 2000, he co-founded Intellectual Ventures, which owns tens of thousands of technology patents. One of the fields Mervold is trying to reinvent is nuclear power. He's the vice chairman at an Intellectual Ventures spin-out in Bellevue, Washington, called TerraPower. Engineers at the company are studying new reactor designs, such as traveling wave reactors and molten salt reactors. In theory, these designs would be immune to the overheating that destroyed the reactors in Fukushima after the 2011 earthquake and tsunami. The company has financial backing from deep-pocketed investors like Bill Gates and Vinod Khosla. If TerraPower can finish a prototype, scale up the technology, and persuade people that it's safe, then the company might have the potential to help countries meet future energy demand without building more fossil fuel plants. I asked Mirbold about TerraPower's progress and the future of clean energy at Xconomy's Napa Summit in June. Nathan Merbold, thank you so much for joining me today. It's my pleasure. So what are you working on that has you excited these days? Well, we're, I just finished my uh, bread book, uh, which is a 2,500-page book uh, all about bread. Um, I just opened an art gallery for my food pictures, and our nuclear company is doing really well. <laughs> we could go in any number of directions, but... I think nuclear power is incredibly interesting and incredibly important. So can you talk a little bit about that? You're talking about TerraPower, right? Yes. So if we really want to make meaningful uh, cuts in carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, we need a carbon-free source of baseload power. Most baseload power is still fossil fuel-based, so it's coal. I think that nuclear is a terrific technology for this, but we have a problem. And the problem is in the 1970s, uh, the United States and a bunch of other places kind of freaked out about nuclear power. And I say freaked out because uh, although there are some uh, possible dangers, there's some real dangers, uh, the perception of the danger was wildly out of whack with uh, the actual uh, fact. Um, uh, a great example is that a couple years ago, there was a disaster in Fukushima. Um, 15,000 people were killed by a tsunami. To date, zero people died because of the reactor, but it's portrayed as a nuclear, um, a horrible nuclear accident and uh, you viewed by some as a reason we shouldn't do nuclear. All right, but to be fair, there's a giant exclusion zone around Fukushima and Chernobyl for that matter. and. Both of those incidents are expected to add measurably to the cancer load. Well, it turns out that the cancer load from Chernobyl that was predicted hasn't actually transpired. Uh, that's largely because 
we don't know what the impact of low radiation dose uh, is. Uh, people have made worst-case predictions. The worst case has not turned out to be true for Chernobyl. Now, I, I don't mean to minimize those things, but because uh, no plants were built in the United States for the last 30 years, uh, no one tried to use modern technology to sort of rethink what a nuclear plant could be. Uh, and that's exactly what we've done in a company called TerraPower. So TerraPower has rethought uh, nuclear energy. It has some uh, amazing designs that are much, much safer than the designs of the past. And uh, they also have the property they really could scale to make an incredible dent in our energy needs. In fact, you could actually run 80% of America's energy needs I pick 80% because that's the percentage of energy that France gets from nuclear, so it's certainly possible. We could run 80% of America for 125 years just based on nuclear waste we already have, using that waste as fuel. I think that's pretty cool. Okay, what other kinds of uh, innovations are embodied in TerraPower's design? Because I think when people think of nuclear power, they probably are thinking of the post-World War II generation of light water reactors like the ones we built at Three Mile Island? Well, the, that's what we've done at TerraPower is to make a much safer reactor. Uh, it, here's a good example. Uh, at Fukushima, the type of reactor that they uh, built really needs to have the power running constantly. And it gets into a bad way if power is cut off for as little as 15 minutes. Uh, really stupid design. It was designed in the slide rule era. They should have replaced it a long time ago. They didn't. A state-of-the-art, still under construction reactor like the um, Westinghouse AP1000 can go three days without power. So that says, okay, if you have a disaster, you have three days to go back in and hook power back up so you can cool things down. And the TerraPower reactors, you can just turn the power off and walk out the door and nothing bad will happen. And the reason for that is we designed it so that it will use natural convection of the atmosphere uh, to cool down what's called the afterheat. It's that afterheat that can get you in trouble if you don't have cooling pumps doing active cooling. But I'm pretty sure we're still going to have an atmosphere. <laughs> um, and if we have an accident where we no longer have an atmosphere, nuclear power is the least of our worries. What stage is TerraPower at in terms of the development of this design? Well, we are designing the main reactor. Uh, we're negotiating uh, with various parts of the world to build it. Um, it. You know, reactor is a nuclear reactor is an interesting thing because on top of all of the technical risk you have in any technology company, you also have a political risk. Um, are people going to want it in their backyard or not? And frankly, if the whole world was like the United States, we might not have ever done this because we've gotten so risk-adverse that we don't want to seem to try anything new. Which, if the status quo was acceptable, that would be fine. But the status quo is we are putting more and more CO2 into the atmosphere. We can't take a risk-free approach. So that means let's look at nuclear again. Let's look at it with fresh eyes and come up with something new. What are the most nuclear-friendly markets or countries? Our focus is on places that have the most energy demand. So in China, they are building more than a gigawatt of new capacity every week. 
Almost all that's coal. So that's a place where they really need to make a trade-off and say, okay, do we keep going on this unsustainable coal thing or do we build some increased nuclear? In the United States, uh, our energy demand is not growing by very much. It's maybe 3% a year. We don't really need to build a lot of plants of any sort. So China, uh, India, other developing economies around the world, those are the places that are uh, going to have the biggest need, and therefore that's where you'd like to build the plants. To ask a somewhat cheeky question, you come from a technology background. What makes you think that you know how to make nuclear power work <laughs> against all odds, right? You mentioned the political and regulatory backdrop. This is a really hard problem to solve. Well, first of all, I uh, actually was a physicist before I went into software. So arguably, I'm more qualified to work on a physics-intensive project than I ever was to work on software. That's the first thing. Uh, the second thing is uh, you can't solve any giant problem alone. I don't care who you are. Uh, we have a great team of people uh, at TerraPower. We have great uh, relationships with lots of other uh, folks in the nuclear business. That includes national laboratories in the United States, universities, um, places overseas. Uh, so we've had a lot of expertise, and we have convinced ourselves that we can do it. Um, now, after the fact, you'll be able to judge whether I was right or wrong, but so far, uh, we have created quite a company, and I think most people in the nuclear business would say it's absolutely one of the most exciting things going. This is a long-haul kind of uh, venture. It's not something that will pay off on the timescale of a software startup. You guys know that. How do you design a company around that kind of timescale? Um, you need to set expectations with investors that this is something that is a long-term investment that we think has enormous positive financial results and enormous positive results for the world, so it's worth supporting. But it isn't for everybody. Uh, our chairman is Bill Gates, um, who, of course, I've worked with for a very long time. Well, Bill's idea of what an investment horizon is is perhaps different than others. He, he doesn't need to worry about uh, what's going to put food on the table for his family next week or maybe for the next century. Uh, instead, the idea of trying to do something really hard that would positively uh, impact the whole world and be a good investment, that appeals to him. We're speaking um, a week and a half, maybe two weeks after President Trump announced that he wanted the U.S. to pull out of the Paris Accord. And I'm curious about whether you and, and Bill and the people you talk with feel that there might be ways for us to still meet or for the world to still meet the goals outlined in the Paris Accord, even if the federal government isn't pulling its weight. Well, so I'm a little jaded about the Paris Accord. Um, it, fundamentally, the Paris Accord was a group of companies or countries, excuse me, they got together with a bunch of lofty goals and essentially no plan to actually do anything. Because I, you can't really point at any action of the U.S. government, uh, even in the Obama administrations, which were behind it. You'd say, well, where was their teeth in it? Where was their enforcement? Where was there anything? that would actually make the CO2 go down. And I think you'd be very hard-pressed to find anything. So it, it, we've gone from a state of pretending we were doing something to a state where we say, 
no, we're not going to do anything, but it's really not that different than the pretending. It, I, I can't look at the Paris thing by itself as a great tragedy. So granting your point that uh, the Paris Accord, because it was voluntary and didn't have a lot of built-in enforcement mechanisms, you can maybe argue it was a masquerade. So we've taken off the mask. Are you still optimistic that entrepreneurs and innovators might be able to make up some of the gap, even if the federal government, even if governments around the world are not necessarily taking a leadership role and and supporting the decades of R&D that accounted for things like Moore's Law, right? The best way to do it would be to have that massive uh, investment uh, by the government, but that's not happening. And I think the private sector can make a huge difference. I'm trying. I'm trying, and look, I wish there were 20 more people trying, whether it was advanced nuclear or energy storage, and there are a lot of those companies out there. Um, I wish there was more. The challenge uh, with energy is that uh, the current infrastructure is so cheap, and there's no leadership from the government, or very little anyway, to help uh, support nascent technologies before they're economic, so we're going to have to keep doing it ourselves until it gets it's economic by you know naked without any extra subsidies without any cap and trade or any other incentives. And that's difficult, but I don't think it's impossible. I'm I'm not giving up. Please don't. And thank you Nathan. This has been a fantastic conversation. I really appreciate your time. Well, thank you. You've been listening to Exconomy Voices. The show is reported and produced by me, Wade Rausch. Greg Huang edits my scripts. Our theme music was written and performed by the band New Fame. If you like the show, we hope you'll subscribe to Exconomy Voices at Apple Podcasts and follow us on SoundCloud or wherever you get your podcasts. At our website, exconomy.com, you'll find news and commentary about high-tech innovation in 11 cities and regions around the country. You can also find out about live conferences coming up in your area at exconomy.com events. So stay tuned and thanks for joining us.